0: Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Doug Porter, BMO's Chief Economist. This week's episode is titled, The Canadian Conundrum. I'm Ben Reitzes, and you're listening to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading team to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.r-e-i-t-z-e-s at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Doug, welcome to the show. First time I've had you on, I've been waiting for the right opportunity, and I think this week is it, so thank you for coming on. Well, it's been a long wait, but thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Doug's not a podcast aficionado, but I think that maybe we can change his mind this week, and I suspect the audience's feedback, all listeners out there, give give Doug your feedback because I know many of you read his stuff, and, and maybe then he'll come on again and we'll get some more of his excellent insights. Why don't we start with the Bank of Canada, and then we'll get to the topic that I really want to get to. But what were your thoughts on the bank last week, Doug, and where do you see rates going forward? So I have to admit, this is
1: one time where I thought Macklum's comments afterwards and some of the interviews he gave after actually really mattered this this time, because my initial thought was, I, I wouldn't say it was a hawkish hold, but I I, th- I thought they were serious about leaving the door open and that even the slightest inflation surprise over the next year could get them thinking about raising rates again at some point in the next, uh, let's call it the next three to four months. But after I heard his remarks, especially on, on CBC, I think it became a lot more clear that they're leaning very heavily to that they're done. Like they'd have to be seriously surprised on, on the inflation front, I think, to, to move off of that. And one way I would just look to is, is the fact that their inflation forecast, as, as I mentioned the day of, is actually higher than ours is. For 2024. That's extremely unusual. Uh, throughout this piece, I would say the bank's actually been pretty consensus in terms of inflation. Now they're well above the consensus because we're a bit above and they're above us. So they've got inflation averaging 3%. To me, that would be a really disappointing performance for them if inflation only averages 3%. I'm sure they want to do better than that. You know, that's the very high end, of course, of their tolerance zone. Uh, so, I think you know, basically what they're telling us is inflation really, really has to disappoint to get them going in. Now, having said that, I also think they're pretty clear that it's going to be a while before we can realistically look at rate cuts. It's interesting. You know, You, you always got to be careful about just confirming your bias. But certainly, uh, MacLum's Merck certainly made it sound like they they're not looking at rate cuts until the second half of the year, which pretty much lines up with with our view. So I would I would say that you know the bottom line is we we really didn't change our call on this. We you know we thought the bank was done, and we thought that they'd start going in the opposite direction,
0: probably starting in the third quarter of next year. So if we listen to that CBC radio interview, which by the way was I would I would recommend uh, folks out there listening, it was a pretty tough interview by the CBC interviewer. I was impressed, and I kind of felt bad for Macklin. But he said in that interview that he talked about the middle of next year inflation being around 3.5%, and they'd have to be surprised on inflation being lower than they expect on this front for them to even consider maybe going even earlier than that for, for the timetable to get moved up. And you're saying that their inflation forecast is probably high. So the risks probably are skewed to them maybe easing earlier. Maybe a bit earlier. I guess what I would
1: say though is it, it sounded like he was talking actually late 2024. Like so, he might be a little bit later than us. But let, let's face it, if it's a close call, I think the bank will probably err on the side of being hawkish, like leaving, you know, leaving things higher for longer than uh, than they would have otherwise done under normal circumstances. Absolutely, the last mistake they want to make is to ease prematurely. I have this feeling that they they believe they made that mistake earlier this year. Not that they ease, but they. You know, they gave the market the sense that they were done before they were really done, and of course we had the housing market flare back up almost immediately. They don't want to compound that kind of mistake by actually easing too early and having, you know, a second echo of of inflation either late next year in a, in twenty five and then have to reverse course again. So I think if they make a mistake, it's that they'll 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 stay longer than you would have normally thought.
0: Okay, so two two other aspects of this. So one would be the growth side, and the other would be the U.S. and this transitions pretty well into what you're writing about this week on the productivity problem that Canada has and Canada's had for for decades really but it's gotten substantially worse in the past eight years uh, productivity growth has is affected it, it is zero since 2017 and it's it's not far from zero since 2015 and and over that period we've diverged substantially from the US and so theres there's there's clearly an issue there and from the Bank of Canada's perspective, for now, it's it's just. I mean, if you look at growth. We've had zero growth in the second quarter, slightly negative. Uh, zero growth in the third quarter. The fourth quarter probably isn't going to look any better than that, and 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 risks are are surely to the downside given uh, policy still hasn't taken a, its full effect yet. And so, if we're in recession or near it, how long can the Bank of Canada hold off? Or or is it is it all, is it just about inflation or is Recession sufficient to get them to maybe rethink where they are. I think if it was a serious recession, it
1: would get them enough to uh, to change their view and go go earlier. But I think the key there is you know whether whether it's a true recession or just you know more of the economy essentially going sideways. And you know Matt MacLum's even talked about this how you know yes there could be small negatives in in their, their forecast since they've just got small positives It could easily you know they could easily be wrong by a few tenths. But that's probably not enough to change the Bank of Canada's overall view. I think they'd really need to see the unemployment rate rising in a, in a meaningful fashion. Uh, that's certainly possible. Uh, we, we have it going up to 6% or a little bit higher by the middle of part of next year. We think that's probably just enough to convince them. But I, I think the unemployment rate would have to rise a lot further to, to get the bank to, to go earlier than that. Uh, just, you know, just in terms of the, the growth forecast, the one thing I'll say is... So the, the bank tries to be as realistic as possible. Um, you know they don't try to bias their calls, but generally speaking, that's one area where they have tend to be a bit above consensus over over time. They, they do tend to be a little bit of, above consensus on on growth. I do think if, if they make a mistake, it's want, they, they, they want to put a bit of a rosier glow on things. Uh, it's interesting that you know they end up being right this year. Uh, the consensus at the start of the year was calling for recession. They weren't. They they were actually pretty, pretty close at at the start of the year. But I think their their call now is 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 a bit overly optimistic. And uh, you probably wouldn't have to scratch them too far to to get that answer from them as well.
0: Historical question for you. So for those out there who don't know, Doug remembers almost everything, and is great at remembering all these historical facts and. Of all the many things that Doug has taught me, which is a great many, I can't match his memory. When was the last time we had that kind of soft landing, where the where the economy would just have small negatives and the unemployment rate would only rise half to a percentage point? Call it is that a is that a realistic outcome? We we've had a few of those, believe it or not, and and not in such distant memory.
1: In fact, even the downturn that the U.S. went through in the early two thousands, the tech wreck, officially Canada avoided a, a full on recession during that episode, and that was after a pretty tough Bank of Canada series of rate hikes too, not comparable to this one. But because it was mostly just a complete cratering in business investment, you know, Canada had its own Nortel meltdown at that point, but it didn't rise to the level of of being a recession. If we go a bit further back, the mid-90s, and this one does apply to the U.S., both of us went through, I would say, the closest thing to a soft landing that we've had. Both the bank and the Fed raised rates pretty aggressively through 1994, they stopped just in time, and we went through a sort of a mid-cycle correction in the economy, where we did avoid a recession after a pretty ferocious set of rate hikes in both economies there in, in 1994. That's probably the closest parallel I can find to it. The difference, though, is that was still pretty early in the cycle. And you know, after the Fed and the Bank of Canada were done, we then actually had a boom afterwards. I don't think we're headed that direction this time. I think it's just a matter of how deep of a slowdown are, are, are we looking at at this time.
0: Okay, Um, I think why don't we leave the Bank of Canada there and switch gears to what I really want to talk about and why I really have you on this week. Although I like your Bank of Canada views also. Doug is writing a piece on productivity for BMO's weekly publication Focus this week. And he outlines how, why, all of the reasons that Canada's productivity performance is, is as bad as it is. Can you just outline how weak Canadian productivity is at the moment, and you can go on and, and give some some rationales or some explanations as to why we are as weak as we are. So it it is historic, what we're going through right now. Like, I, you know, of course, the, the
1: decent data do not really go back that far, but I, I dare say we probably haven't seen this kind of weak productivity since the 30s. Um, I, I suspect that was a lot worse back then. Um, but in, in modern decades, we've seen nothing like this. Like we had one year where productivity was, was negative in the early 90s, which was a very tough cycle for, for Canada. But we're looking at an extended period here, like over a five-year period of time, productivity has averaged a decline in Canada, and that's basically unheard of. If, if you look over, say, the last 40 years, Canadian productivity growth has averaged about a percent a year, which in itself is not a very good performance. But to actually have a sustained period of declines is bad. And we can't blame the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic definitely messed things up for the for the economy in, in a number of ways. But if we look at U.S. average productivity in, in recent years, it's, it's a little below average, but it's not bad. It's not that unusual. So definitely, you know, the pandemic and the aftermath did weaken productivity a little bit. But that's not what we can, you know, really point the finger at here. I, th- I think it's uh, a number of factors coming together at once. If I had to distill it down to a single issue in Canada, I think it's just we've got extraordinarily weak business investment. Um, there there are a lot of factors at play, by the way. But I think it's we, we you know, frankly, we've got a bit of a hostile environment, I think, for uh, for, for business investment. And, and it's weak. It's suffering. And, uh, you know, whether it's relative to history or relative to, uh, to the U.S., uh, I do think there's more to it than that. But, you know, loaded on top of that, we've also had, uh, you know, near historic increases in, in population. And if you think of what drives productivity, it's, it's basically, a, you know, a strong rising capital or to, to labor ratio. Well, we've, we've had sort of the opposite. We've had, you know, very weak capital spending and we've had very strong labor force growth. So, of course, you know, the, the outcome of that is, is very weak labor productivity gains.
0: I think a, a good example of that is the, the, the harshness of Canada toward business at the moment are the the, the battery plants that, that we've had to effectively buy and, and the ridiculously high cost of bringing those battery plants to Canada, tens of billions of dollars to get two plants to Canada. And, and how many jobs is that going to create at the end of the day? And, and is it worth all that money? I, I don't know. Uh I hope so <laughs> at the end of the day, but I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see on that. so what what do we need to do? How do we fix this? Is 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 there a fix? I mean, you outline a number of different issues and in business investment I completely agree. You look at investment, it cratered in twenty fifteen, that soil crashed, and it really hasn't recovered. And and we just haven't been able to find another sector to pick up the slack. And uh, oil is not going to pick up the slack because investment in that sector just is not really going to pick up. And the expectations of that are, just, I mean, not realistic at this point. So, how do we get more money coming into into Canada on the investment side, or how do we get Canadians to invest more? And and maybe this goes back to housing.
1: Yeah, you can, you can make a case that uh, our fixation on housing is not helping. Uh, the issue in general, because that's that's where a lot of investment ends up going, whether it's personal investment or the actual, uh, you know, business capital spending, and ends up in residential investment. I, you know, that, and let's face it, that, that's not completely lost dollars. I mean, it does create a nice consumption flow. Uh, you know, if we all want to live in castles, well, you know, so be it. You're gonna you're gonna have to spend a lot of money in terms of residential construction. But it, for productivity, it's 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 a drag. I I, I would say, overall. But I, you know, how do we fix this? So first of all, I will say that this has been an issue I've, I've been dealing with since I started as an economist, and that was low those many years ago. Uh, so this is this is a topic that's been around for decades, and you know, there was a, there was actually a serious attempt to address it in the late 80s and early 90s through. You know, things like the free trade agreement with the U.S. that eventually became NAFTA, the transition to the GST and away from manufacturer sales tax. Uh, there was also tax reform, believe it or not, lower marginal, lower corporate rates in the early 2000s, which actually did lead to a, a period where we had some of the best productivity in the last 50 years in Canada in the late 90s and, and early 2000s. Now, it just so happens the U.S. also had very strong productivity growth during that. And I think you know, rather than being Canada-led, it was probably driven more by, you know, uh, fundamental factors beyond our borders. And essentially, it was the take-up of the internet that I think really led to that that boom in productivity. But some of the some of the policies here in in Canada helped. I think it, it actually does require a mindset change in, in Canada. I, I think, you know, first of all, we have to be less hostile to businesses and business investment in, in general. I think there has to be less emphasis on, you know, redistribution and more on actually increasing, you know, what you're what you're distributing, you know, in other words, creating wealth and not just uh, sharing it, it around. I do think that the entire taxation system needs needs a rethink. I, I, I said in the piece the last time we had a serious review of Canada's. Tax system was in the 1960s, uh, the Carter Commission for uh, for history buffs. I do think we we need a complete rethink on, on that front. But I, I I think it's something more fundamental even than that. I do I do think we 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 really need a change in attitude, in, uh, in in general. And and you know frankly, where it could start is with less of an assault on on the tax front. We we have very high personal marginal tax rates in this country. We have some of the highest in the world on that front, and they kick in at relatively low income levels. And I think that's, you know, right there, that's one of the first things I would work on. I couldn't agree more.
0: I've harped on that low, not the high rate, but the uh, where, where the tax kicks in is is always questionable, I think, at this point, especially given inflation, not all of those, those uh, brackets are inflation adjusted, and they're lagged as well, just to just to add insult to injury. What from the financial side of things, and one of the things you mentioned in, in, in your piece is that, The Canadian dollar is one way that we've adjusted to our poor productivity performance over time. The dollar has come under a lot of pressure in recent weeks. I have trouble believing that's going (laughs) to subside anytime soon, given the uh, economic divergence here. What are the financial consequences of this? Is it just a consistently weaker Canadian dollar? Are there rate impacts as well? Should we worry about government finances at at every level because of this? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the textbooks tell you that
1: Productivity is the building block of real incomes, and so if you get lousy productivity growth, you should have weak personal income growth. But actually, labor compensation or wages in, in Canada have, have mostly kept pace with the, with the U.S., even with weaker productivity. So workers have actually ended up doing okay in this world. Even real compensate and the overall inflation numbers have been very similar in Canada the U.S. So over the over the decades. Uh, so that's not really the way that productivity, the productivity gap has expressed itself. It's really come more on the business side. And part of it, yes, is the exchange rate. The exchange rate has acted as, as the equalizer. It's interesting. Go back 50 years ago, Canada, U.S. were essentially at par. Since that time, we've had terrible productivity. We've had the same inflation. And yet here we are with the same inflation rate as the U.S. over those 50 years and the currencies, you know, down in the low 70s. So we've had, you know, this huge depreciation with the same inflation rate. As the U.S., so you know it's it's sort of a subtle, quiet, corrosive effect on uh, on our, our standard of living here in Canada, and, and it's gone through the exchange rate. The other effect has been that you know who's who's really absorbed the cost. Well, to some extent, it's actually been margins here in, in Canada. Uh, the you know businesses have been dealing with higher unit labor costs here in uh, in Canada versus the U.S. and how that gets expressed on the financial side is you can partly Point to well, maybe this is one of the reasons why over time, the Toronto Stock Exchange has just uh, lagged out of the S and P by quite a wide margin over the many decades. Now, some would also, of course, point to the uh, the makeup of, of the two indices uh, play. Of course, plays plays a big role. But I also think, even aside from that uh, sectoral breakdown, I, I think it has weighed on profitability here. Now, in in a way, it's almost like a vicious circle because we've got weak profitability, weak margins. That begets weak business investment, which weakens productivity further and and on it goes. And like I said, how it usually ends up and the the way it does work away or, you know, basically dampen uh, Canadian living standards is through a weaker exchange
0: rate. That doesn't sound like a great outlook. It's not, (laughs) sadly. Uh, Well, I guess we have our our work cut out for us as as Canadians. And from, I guess, from on our side, that's, that's banging the drum on this kind of stuff and Hoping that policymakers uh, pay perhaps a little bit more attention to these types of issues. I think those sirens were just, you know, the uh, the emergencies coming to help try to fix productivity. I was I was wondering if they were coming to revive the Canadian economy. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. Any other topics? I guess to so, to? just the other
1: the, the, the one thing I would say is, you know, it's not as if Ottawa has been blind to this over over the years. Even the current government. Did make a stab at you know trying to support capital spending, you know whether whether it was through uh, in, in incentives or b- business tax credits. They they have tried a number of things over the years, but I I, th- I don't think tinkering around at the edges really does that much. I think as as I said, I think you have to fundamentally change the the, the attitude in Canada. And and by the way, I, w- I will say you know the U.S. is a very tough bar to live up to. They do have one of the higher productivity levels in in the world. There are some economies that are a bit higher. Which I go into, but the the U.S. is is definitely up there. It, it is a high bar. There are some structural factors in Canada that do mean it'll always be tough for us to to you know to get up to U.S. levels, and you know one of it is you know just basically the scale of our businesses. Uh, does tend to be a little bit smaller. We don't have the same tech sector that the U.S. has, and the tech sector has really led the way on productivity. But that doesn't mean we should give up. You know, we you basically on the things you can control, you have to do the best job that you you can do. And I don't think we're doing the best job by any means.
0: Okay, Doug, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on for for all those listeners out there. Uh, if you are a BMO client, you can get on the distribution list from Economics and and Focus is the. Uh, publication where that this is coming in on, on Friday. It's currently Wednesday afternoon. So feel free to, to reach out your BMO rep, and then they'll get you on that list. For those of you who are not BMO clients, you can see it on our website. Uh, I highly recommend you read this, whether you're a policymaker, economist, layperson, no matter what it is, take a read. It's, uh, it's very much worthwhile. Doug, thanks for coming on, and I uh, hope to have you on again. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.